0: Hey everyone. I record these episodes about a month in advance, so I wanted to do another intro, which is why I'm recording two days before this episode comes out on Monday, to discuss, well, the shitstorm of the coronavirus. First off, my heart goes out to all those who have been affected, and this is basically everyone, especially those who have fallen ill and family members of those who have perished. Okay, so we are all in uncharted waters here, there is no. Remember the last time this thing happened? Here's what we did. We've never gone through something like this before. But here's what I need you to do. Be the light. Know there is a greater intelligence at play and act out of love and not out of fear. Fear is more dangerous, more insidious than this new strain of bacteria. So please be more conscious than ever of the unconscious self And do your absolute best to treat yourself and others with love in these strange times now sure it's good to be informed on what's happening but feel free to turn off the news and start a puzzle plant a tomato plant or learn how to play the guitar the most powerful pharmacy on the planet by far is in your mind be the light be the anchor be positive stay the course This is why we do the work for times like this. If you're finding yourself isolated, at home, with everything closed, then seriously consider joining our online, private, unsearchable community called Cafe RE. And there's other online recovery communities as well. I know there's zoomaameetings.com. Also, to help us understand what's happening in the world, I'm offering a free webinar called Spirituality and Addiction with spiritual teacher Elaine Huang on Monday, April 6th at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We'll cover how these events are still working in our favor, as well as techniques on how to stay calm and grounded. Go to recoveryelevator.com, and on the main page, you'll see where you can sign up for this free webinar. Again, we're going to be covering spirituality and addiction. And before we start the episode, there are some bright spots that I'd like to cover. Apparently, dolphins have emerged again off the coast of Italy, and swans have returned to the canals. In Singapore, otters are roaming freely thanks to the open public spaces. In Beijing, people are seeing stars for the very first time ever, and the sky is clearing. In a Chicago aquarium, they let two penguins out to visit all their other fish friends. Okay, guys. Let's all stick together. Recovery Elevator episode 266.
1: It makes us like realize again that we just can't do that. Nothing's good going to come out of it. You know, we've realized that there's not even one good thing about drinking anymore.
0: Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Renee. She took her last drink on January 2nd, 2020. She's 40 years old. She's from Greendale, Wisconsin. And in the interview, she talks about how she didn't recognize that alcohol was the problem. And I know many listeners, including myself, are nodding their heads when they heard that one. She also talks about how her depression and anxiety have drastically improved since quitting drinking. It's a great interview. You all are going to get a lot out of it. I know it. The book, well, my book, Alcohol is Shit, is now out on Amazon. And guys, how cool is this? This book is still a bestseller in several categories on Amazon. Be sure to pick up a copy today. In this June 11th to 13th, Recovery Elevator will be live in Denver, Colorado with an event titled Dancing with the Mind. You'll learn how to create your future happy, wholesome, authentic self that no longer needs alcohol and you'll draw this new life to you like a magnet in the present moment. You'll build lifelong in-person connections with others who no longer drink. This event is open for spouses or significant others and there will be specific breakout sessions for them as well. Go to recoveryelevator.com for more information and to register. Okay, let's get started. Today I want to talk to you about the importance of rule 22 what it is and why you need to make this rule part of your life asap and after the interview with renee we'll talk a little bit about ben affleck and his journey okay let's start by implementing rule 22 like i said asap as soon as possible because this one is super important and get ready guys this is a tough one get your game face on Are your shoelaces tied? Are you ready for impact? Okay, here we go. A perfectionist walked into a bar, and apparently, the bar wasn't set high enough. And everyone, I figured out why dogs aren't the best dancers. They have two left feet. What do you call a cat that throws the best parties? The Great Catsby, of course. And did you all know the inventor of the stop sign, William Eno, never learned to drive and never tried out his own invention? Here's another one. Did you know that Charlie Chapman once anonymously entered a walk like Charlie Chapman competition and he finished 20th? What did Buzz Aldrin say when no one laughed at his moon jokes? He said, well, I guess he had to be there. And speaking of Buzz Aldrin, he ditched the booze in the 80s and became an advocate for recovery. Nice job, Buzz. Now, many of you are saying, yo, Paul, enough with the funnies. I mean, they are funny, but I've got a serious issue on my hands called a drinking problem, and I'm currently listening for some tangible steps, ideas, or strategies to find some instant relief. Perhaps maybe an instant inoculation, Paul. Can you deliver me that, please? And maybe you can just get to the point and tell us what Rule 22 is. Okay, hang on. For a moment, I forgot that many listeners are currently metaphorically living life in the dentist chair. And I'm sure there's actually one or two listeners out there actually in the dentist chair at this moment. And so it's time to suit up and show up. First things first, one day at a time. Progress, not perfection. Time takes time. And it's time to place principles before... uh, How does it go? Personifications. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Rule 22. But first, I just read that 4 million... 153,237 people got married last year? Not to cause any trouble, but shouldn't that be an even number? And what do you call a can opener that doesn't work? I think that would be a can't opener. Alrighty, here we go. I want to cover rule 22, which is lighten up. Never take yourself too seriously on this journey. Now, we do cover serious topics, issues, and concepts on this podcast. And addiction, departing from alcohol, can be a matter of life and death. What I mean is we are not living life to its fullest. We are not enjoying life. So it's important. We always have that smile locked and ready to go because in the end, no one ever wishes that they laughed less, had less fun, or kept more smiles from the public. Reason why? We've all heard this. Laughter is the best medicine. That's the value bomb in this podcast, or at least in my segment anyways. So laughter relaxes the whole body. A good hearty laugh relieves physical tension and stress, leaving your muscles relaxed for up to 45 minutes after. Laughter boosts the immune system. Laughter decreases stress hormones and increases immune cells and infection-fighting antibodies, thus improving your resistance to disease. Laughter triggers the release of endorphins, the body's natural feel-good chemicals. Endorphins promote an overall sense of well-being and can even temporarily relieve pain. Laughter protects the heart. Laughter and smiles improves the function of blood vessels and increases blood flow, which can help protect you against a heart attack and other cardiovascular problems. This one's pretty cool. A study in Norway found that people with a strong sense of humor outlive those who don't laugh as much. Laughter releases oxytocin, the love molecule, which helps us connect. Science shows this release of oxytocin is nearly doubled when we laugh at ourselves. Laughter helps us connect. And you've heard me say now 478 times on this podcast that the opposite of addiction is connection. A great way to facilitate this connection is with smiles, laughter, joy, and rule 22. Lighten up. And since releasing oxytocin in the body feels good, I'm going to do just that and tell you a story, one that I had never planned on telling you, one that I had planned on keeping locked down in the drunk story vault forever. In fact, I told this story to someone a couple months ago and they asked me if I've ever told this story on the podcast and I was like, God, no, and I don't ever plan to until now. So I was home from Christmas break from college my freshman year, and my five best friends came over to hang out. Before joining them in the basement, I ate dinner with my family. I could hear them laughing downstairs, and I couldn't wait to join them, so I devoured my food, as in I barely chewed the potatoes and headed down. Since we were all 18 or 19 years old and still idiots, we came up with a drinking game where we take a shot of Papa Vodka every five minutes when an alarm went off. Believe it or not, every five minutes wasn't fast enough, so it went to every four minutes, then three, and then two minutes. After about eight or nine shots, my stomach was saying, nope, no moss. So I ran to the window well, slid the window up, and emptied the contents of my stomach. After that, I did what any 18-year-old kid who was on his way to developing a significant drinking problem would do, is I puked and rallied. Now This was also around the time when video cameras were no longer the size of an air conditioner, so my buddy filmed some select events throughout the evening. When we returned home later that night, my buddy's car, one headlight and one side mirror less, I found myself blasted. Not quite blacked out, but close. I was in the basement by myself and I found myself looking outside the window well where I had puked a couple hours ago. In the throw up, and guys I'm so sorry this is gross, there was a perfectly cubed potato. It was as if it was swallowed whole. It was even still seasoned and it looked appetizing. And since I'm 18, almost blacked out, an idiot, on my way to becoming a host of a podcast where the theme is to quit drinking and had the drunk munchies, I reached down, moved some debris, and ate the potato. At that very moment, I hear my friends running down the stairs, and since I don't want them, or anyone else on the planet, to know of the heinous act I just committed, I quickly shut the window and joined my friends. And wait, there's more. Shortly after, my buddy, who was filming the evening, pops in the video, and we watch the highlights of the night. So, there I am, throwing up out the window, on tape, awesome! In the next scene, there's someone else, my buddy Dan, barfing out the window, on top of my throw-up. Gross, I say, as I start to connect the dots, knowing I just pulled out my late-night snack from his throw-up as well. And then, at the end of the film, is a shot of my buddy Andrew, peeing outside the window well in the basement. At first, I found it humorous, but then it hit me in the stomach in the form of acute nausea. Not only did I eat a potato from my own vomit, my buddy Dan's vomit, the potato was also marinated in urine from my buddy Andrew. Goodness gracious. So that's a pretty good you might need to ditch the booze if line. You uh, you're still there? Sorry if that was too much for you. Now, I seriously contemplated not telling this story. I went back and forth on it a couple times, even texted the friend that I told this story to, and well, here you go. So the point of this story was not to totally gross you out, but to hopefully add some laughter in your day. Or at least you could say, I'm so glad that didn't happen to me. Rule 22, lighten up. We have to. Life is never as serious as the mind wants us to believe. And before we hear from Renee, let's hear from my favorite resource, Cafe RE. The three most important lessons I've learned while quitting drinking are, we can't do this alone. We need accountability and a supportive community is key in the private unsearchable Facebook groups cafe re you're going to get all three and much more. What does private mean? Well, these groups are unsearchable on Facebook who's in the group and what is said can only be seen by members. You get 24/7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to ditch the booze. These groups are capped at under 350 members to ensure a quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking doesn't have to suck. In fact, it can be a lot of fun. For $19 a month, you too can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online meetups, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and much more. Oh yeah, you'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Renee, how are you?
1: I'm good, Paul. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you, Renee. Thanks for asking. Let's get right into this. When was your last drink?
1: My last drink was January 2nd, 2020.
0: Nice. And that's 42 days is what you mentioned before I hit record?
1: Yes, 42 days today.
0: Fantastic. How's it feel?
1: Thanks. It feels good. I feel really good. I have a lot of energy and yeah, I feel good.
0: Good, and listeners, as I said last episode, be careful if you email me a little snippet about your story, about your journey. I might just ask you to be on the podcast and I get pinged almost every day for interviews. So there is no secret sauce in the magic of who gets selected. It's just kind of the mood that I'm in. You know, I I might get an email from somebody that says, hey, I'd love to hear this topic. And then later that same day, I'll get an email from somebody like Renee, which this happened, which was the dynamic in a marriage. And with you, I want to talk about how you and your husband both tried to quit drinking together. But then, when one had a craving and would cave, the other would fall, kind of like two crabs in a bucket type scenario. So, we're going to get all into that. I'm excited to hear your story and share it with the most supportive and loving audience on the planet. But before we do so, Renee, give listeners a little background about yourself, where you're from what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun, Renee?
1: Okay, so I am 40 years old. I've been drinking since I was about 16, so that's like almost two and a half decades. I am a hairstylist. I currently work at a children's hair salon, so I cut kids' hair all day long, and sometimes it's really hard, but it's fun. I like it. Let's see. I've been married to my husband, Andy, for 12 years. We've been together 16 years. We have two kids. They are 10 and almost 7. I do have an older son who's almost 21 from a previous relationship. He does not live with us right now. So what else? For fun, I like to go hiking and camping and on vacation. Stand-up paddleboarding. That's really fun in summer on lakes. What else? Movies. We watch a lot of movies lately. We just started getting into puzzles, jigsaw puzzles to kill some time.
0: I love puzzles so much. I think it's a great thing (laughs) to implement when quitting drinking because you can get into that flow state, right, where you just zone out and your mind is so fixed on doing puzzles And and quick anecdote, when I moved back home after I owned the bar in Spain, I would be in my basement and I'd be drinking beer, doing puzzles. And after like nine or 10 beers, I would say, man, I am a pro at puzzles. And I'd go down the next day and find a bunch of puzzle pieces mashed in that didn't fit at all. (laughs) Yeah. So sober puzzles. Let's roll with that. Yeah, but, Yeah. that's funny. And in the email, I think you said uh, Greendale, Wisconsin, not Green Day, Wisconsin, but you mentioned uh, drinking is in the culture everywhere. Now, I hear that all the time is you don't know what it's like to quit drinking here, there. It's everywhere. But... There has been studies done and the data is in guys, uh, Wisconsin, uh, you guys drink hard. And so you do get a pass by saying, look, there's nothing else to do in Wisconsin because it is so cold there. And in fact there's data to back that up. I think it's Wisconsin and the couple surrounding States up there and Australia, you guys drink hard and I would say the same about Montana, but you guys do it harder in Wisconsin. So you're allowed to say that up there. Actually, cover that real quick about what's it like to drink in Wisconsin and how you mentioned that unconsciously you've surrounded yourself with friends who also drink the same amount. I love how you threw in the unconsciously part.
1: Right. Yes, it just seems like it is everywhere. Our families, both of our families, all of our friends, everybody that I've ever met drinks. I mean, once in a while you come across somebody who doesn't and you wonder why. But unless you're pregnant or something else, it's going on. Everybody drinks and it's everywhere. I mean, baby showers and there's concerts, you know, and uh what else? Everything. It's just everywhere. People are happy when it's summer, so they're drinking. It's cold in the winter, so we're drinking. Yeah, it's just, you can't get away from it
0: yeah I did an episode on really this tough. and I and I think the data is four out of the five states that drink the heaviest out of the 50 are all in that area And Wisconsin came in at number one so yeah that's that's intense
1: well, yeah we have a lot of the drunkest cities too in like the world or something too mm-hmm. in Wisconsin
0: yeah and, and Renee <sighs> let's get into your background with drinking when did you start How much did you drink? When did you first realize that it was holding you back? Did you ever attempt to moderate? Did you have a rock bottom moment on January 1st, 2020? I'm excited to hear about your story and please give us ages and dates so chronologically we can be up to speed and also leave some time for the 42 kick-ass days you have away from alcohol because I want to dive into that as well.
1: Okay. Okay. So I started drinking when I was a teenager, probably 16 or so. It was more just to like fit in and, you know, relieve anxiety and have fun. It seemed like everybody was drinking. So it was the thing to do. And I loved how it made me feel. It made me feel super free and super outgoing and not a care in the world. And it was just fun. So I did that like every weekend, pretty much forever until... Probably in my twenties, I met my husband when, I, when we were in our early twenties. We met at a bar, of course. We pretty much drank together and with friends every weekend. Sometimes during the week, he was in school and he was in the army, so he was kind of you know busy. But meanwhile, I still had I had my son from the previous relationship, who was about four or five at that time. So this was in about two thousand. Five And so, yeah, we really didn't start drinking a lot more during the week until after we got married. We got married in 07. He went to Afghanistan in 2006 to 2007 for the army. So he was gone for a year. He came home. He was a little messed up from it. So I think he did a lot of drinking to deal with some of that. And I was just, you know, drinking along with him because that's just what we did. It was like, okay, let's relax at night and drink. And then we'd have barbecues and drinks for that with friends and stuff. So probably after we got married, we drank, I would say maybe three or four times a week. Then we decided to have kids, which was about 10 years ago. So I was, I think, 30 years old. And I got pregnant right away. And then So, of course, I had to stop drinking. He continued to drink at least four to five times during every week.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned in your email you're a little upset about that.
1: I was pretty upset about it. I thought he was just being a jerk, and I'd ask him, you know, do you have to drink so much around me? Because it actually drove me crazy because I wanted to drink, and I couldn't, and I thought, well, here I'm carrying your baby, and you're, you know, just doing whatever you want to do not caring about me but I think he was just he couldn't stop so that caused some friction but after I had the baby you know people we drank in the hospital like we you know bring drinks to the hospital sneak them in because they don't want you to but you know right away it's like two hours after the baby comes out I'm already drinking
0: wow okay so So, two hours after the baby (laughs) You're starting drinking and, and nine minutes after the start of the interview, we've got a great, you might need to ditch the booze if line if you're drinking two hours after your, your pregnancy. Was that something in the back of your mind that you said, as soon as I have this this baby, I'm going to start drinking again? Or is that just somebody showed up with champagne or whatnot to celebrate?
1: Oh, no, I couldn't wait to have a drink okay. after the baby came out. Gotcha. <laughs> in fact, you know, they say it's okay to drink like a glass of wine here and there when you're pregnant. But I always thought, what's the point of that? I'm not going to get a buzz. I'm not going to, you know, feel much off of that. I, I I didn't drink just for the taste. I drank to, you know, get messed up. Yeah, so, you, me, and drink.
0: all the other listeners right now are nodding <laughs> their head. What's the point?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: All right, so what happens next?
1: So we had that baby and, you know, we just continued to just drink like a few times a week. He probably drank more I just didn't realize it at that time and you know we had to get up in the night and then we decided to have another baby and I was 33 when that baby was born and so that was 2013
0: you didn't drink during the pregnancy and he drank a lot and you were upset and you probably resumed to drinking right after you had the baby
1: Exactly. It was exactly the same. Okay. And he knew how upset I was about the first time when I was pregnant, so he was going to, you know, cut down for the second one, but it never really happened because he just couldn't. So then we had that baby, and then, I don't know, like we had a few marital problems about four years ago, which was 2016, 15, 16, and he ended up like starting to drink a lot to deal with the stress. So I did not find any of this out until this past October, 2019, that he had been drinking, sneaking, drinking on top of what we were already drinking, which was a lot for the past four years. He had been, you know, sneaking in the basement, hiding vodka bottles. I mean, we'd be watching TV and I'd go to the bathroom and he'd go take a swig. So I didn't know. And and meanwhile, we were drinking, you know, wine on the couch or whatever, watching TV after the kids went to bed. And I just had no idea. None. No idea.
0: Now, did he tell Um, you about this?
1: He told me about this this past October when everything came out. And he told me about how he had been hiding it. And I just couldn't believe it when he told me. I was shocked. But at the same time, so many things made sense. Like I would go to work. I worked part-time at that time, and he'd be home with the kids on certain days, like a Saturday. I always work on Saturday. So I'd come home, and sometimes he would look really, he would look drunk to me. And he didn't fall down or anything. He was really, really a functional alcoholic. So, But I could tell in his face that something wasn't quite right. And I've brought it up to him a few times, and I hated to ask, but I'd be like, have you been drinking? And he was like, no, no. Why do you say that? And I'm like, I don't know. You just have this look on your face where, and I know that look, that's his drunk face. And I can't explain it, but I just can tell. Like, and he, he would make me feel like I was crazy for thinking that, but he really was drunk. And then later on he tells me you know after he told me everything that yes he was drunk and he he thought oh no she can tell like I over drank when she was at work and and you know it's daytime so yeah
0: it was- and, and Renee why do you think your husband I'm gonna say came clean about his drinking and I'm gonna phrase that differently burning some ships it could have been part of his journey to let that energy be <laughs> released why do you think he told you
1: he told me it because he couldn't do it anymore. Like he was so, you know, sick and tired of being sick and tired. He was physically addicted where he was having withdrawals, like it was getting early and earlier and earlier in the day and he'd be trying to work and shaking and sweating and and he just couldn't do it anymore.
0: And then what was your response?
1: Well, when he first told me I was, I was mad, I was pissed off. I I couldn't believe it. I yelled at him. And then I felt really bad because I was like, here he's trying to, you know, tell me this huge secret that, but I just couldn't believe that I didn't know. And I I felt like mad at myself for not knowing, even though I sort of knew that something, but he'd tell me that I was wrong and I apologize for being so mad at him. But I just, I was like hurt because I thought I knew everything about us and him and it was kind of a big deal what he was doing and of course i wanted to help him
0: sure and you mentioned about a year ago you, you alcohol almost ruined the relationship there was a separation but you mentioned you had no idea that alcohol was the problem chat a little bit about that
1: yeah so i mean there were times where i didn't feel close to him anymore. I didn't want to be around him. I thought sometimes he was acting like just not his normal self and and we we just were growing apart a little bit and I didn't think I loved him anymore at the time. We drank a lot and we had fun when we were drinking, but then when we were not drinking, it didn't seem like we had much to talk about. I guess it was just like we we were slowly separating ourselves from each other. He was very clingy to me at a certain time because of some of the stuff we had gone through in the marriage, and it made me push him away more. I don't know if alcohol was helping him to act like that. It's possible. It was just not going well. So I felt like I didn't love him anymore, and I didn't want to be with him anymore. So we were going to get separated. We went. This is what my rock bottom moment was, or my worst drinking problem, memory was we went to Punta Cana in 2000, November 2017, or no, I'm sorry, it was 2018. It was for a friend's wedding, and we got there. I got really drunk right away on mojitos. We were all in the pool partying and Of course, I didn't eat. I didn't eat a lot of times when I would drink. It was just something, I don't know. I never felt hungry, so I didn't eat, which always ended up getting me in trouble. But I got so drunk. I guess I was hanging all over the bride's brother, in the pool, and like I don't remember any of this. And I lost my shoes. I lost my sunglasses. I didn't even know where I was. The groom ended up having to carry me back to our hotel room, which because he found me wandering around later on. And I don't remember any of that. But then in the morning, I woke up and everybody was mad at me. And my husband was so mad at me. And so that was horrible, horrible, horrible. We ended up deciding to separate after that and move out. We sold our house. We shared the kids. It was really hard. And then we decided to end up working it out after a few months. But there was a time where I was in such a depressed mood from it because I always have had like anxiety and depression, but I think so much of it was because of drinking, which I just had no idea that all that is connected until now when I'm like, wow, this all makes so much sense to me now.
0: Sure. Renee, when did you both recognize that alcohol was almost the driving divider? A, there was a time where it connected you two, but also it reached a moment, probably not that long ago, where you guys both realized that it was the problem?
1: Right. Yes. We we finally noticed this, and this is probably with all within the last four months, because um, in October, when he had told me about all of his drinking, and then we were just like, putting these pieces together about how, you know, he acted then or how I acted then or, you know, all the different things we felt about things and each other and it was all like connected with alcohol. Like everything bad that's ever happened to us has been caused by alcohol in some way or somehow.
0: Sure, now you're 42 days away from the alcohol. Congratulations, that's huge. In fact, when you emailed me, you were fourteen days away from alcohol. And then when I asked you that question, I was like, please. I'm just hoping that you would continue that streak. And we would have done the interview regardless. But where's your husband right now with his with his sobriety?
1: He is one day behind me.
0: Whoa. So he's forty one days. That is yeah. so cool. So your husband is your accountability partner?
1: He is, yes.
0: yes. Wow.
1: very others
0: yeah, and listeners, the, the one of the most requested episodes of all time was what happens when a spouse quits drinking, and it's also one of the most difficult topics that I've ever had to cover, because it, it could have been a three or four hour long episode, and it's episode 251, so go back and listen, but here's just another way that this can go. Alcohol divided you guys, you separated for a year, and within that, you guys had a lot of soul searching, you had the ability to go within, it sounds like your husband went to treatment, he came back, and he came clean, and I hate the way we phrase that came clean. He was honest. He was authentic. He let it all come out. You said he was sick and tired of being sick and tired. You also reached the same conclusion. And you guys decided to quit drinking together. You're one day apart. That's that's amazing. And is, has there been a moment where one of you guys was about to drink in the last 41 to 42 days? And you had that uh, that conversation where you leaned on each other and you both made it through?
1: Yes. There has been a couple times. In fact, like, for instance, we're going to take the kids to Disney World in April. And we were talking about how, oh, I think he mentioned, what if we just drank a little bit while we're there? And I was like, no, 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 no. We cannot do that. You know how this will go. because." And, and then, you know, he agreed right away that that wasn't going to work. because. Um, no, 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 the no, first no. Time we, we started, you
0: cannot <laughs> do that because we know how it's going to go. Oh, I love yeah. how you said that. And he's like, oh, yeah, Renee, you're right.
1: Right. And he wants me to say no to him if he ever wants to drink. But, you know, when we quit the first time in, or when we did together in October, he told me to tell him no then. But I, I caved and I ended up wanting to drink, too. So it was just like we would, you know, be doing it to each other. He would... Or I would jokingly say something about how it'd be nice to have a drink, and all of a sudden I'd come home and he'd have a bottle of, you know, whiskey sitting on the counter. Like, and it was like, oh crap, oops. So yeah, we uh, made it 22 days the first time in October, and then, and then it was, and then it was um, Thanksgiving, and then that um, we drank, and our families both knew we quit drinking, so we had to go to Thanksgiving. After we'd been drinking and then our families had quit drinking because or they didn't want to drink because it was so new. So they didn't have alcohol at Thanksgiving. And so we went, but we had been drinking and they didn't know. So then we were like, we couldn't wait to leave so we could go home and drink some more.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm loving this and this is the importance of opening up number one to your spouse but other with with your family members before you get to these these holiday events Thanksgiving your family wasn't drinking in support of you guys and you were drinking and that's okay these things are never clean they're never direct how the plan wants to go. And you're drinking through the holidays, drinking through New Year's, I imagine. And was January 2nd uh-huh. a day where you said, okay, here we go, round two, or more like round 50, but here's the date. It Was that like a planned date?
1: Yeah, it was a planned date. But he, he couldn't make it that day. He had to drink again because he was having such bad withdrawals, and he gets them really bad like right away and i had gone to work and i was you know i cut hair so i my my hands were so shaky and i was like this is so bad but i made it through it and he ended up stopping the very next day thankfully it it worked out but we just know that if we drink he drinks then it's going to be it's going to be bad again like his withdrawals are so bad and even just a little bit of drinking gets him right back and and if I drink, he's gonna drink, and if he drinks, then it makes me want to drink and it's It's just like we have to stay sober together, otherwise we can't i don't know if we could be together. I really don't think we it would work if we one of us was drinking and the other wasn't. So Renee, yeah. it
0: sounds like you two know what's most important. That's the relationship. That's the idea, the concept of you two, the family, and you recognize that alcohol is disconnecting you two and causing you further a further driver between the family and the kids and all that stuff. So, way to recognize that. Even that is difficult to bring awareness and presence to and view that. But what happens if you drink? What are your thoughts on on more field research or relapse?
1: Well, I already know that we've learned every time we relapse relapsed and drank, like we just, it, it makes us like realize again that we just can't do that. Nothing's good going to come out of it. You know, we've realized that there's not even one good thing about drinking anymore. There used to be, it seems like, but now it's just to the point where it's all bad. Everything that happens after is, is just bad like mentally physically it's exhausting it's expensive when two of us drink the way we were drinking it was so expensive we added it up for a month and it was just like wow we're saving so much money now so yeah uh i guess we'll just have to learn again if that does happen but i think we're really being strong about it and i think that we're going to be okay i think
0: I think I hope. and that's totally fine right you, you think that's that's
1: because I can't say for sure because you know how that goes you just don't know for sure but I'm no. hopeful.
0: yeah I, I love it and how did you do the last 42 days what's been working for you
1: well we we bought ourselves a new treadmill that has that iFit fit little thing on there so you can like go on there and it, I mean you can pick where you want to go like I was hiking and walking in Hawaii and you have a trainer who takes you wherever you want to go. It's pretty cool. But so that has helped as far as like keeping our minds. He's, he's, my husband is really into working out. He goes to the gym like four days a week. And so that's always been a good stress reliever for him. We've been doing, watching a lot of movies lately and binge watching Netflix and things like that just to keep our minds off of it. But uh, it was really hard at first, because it did take up a lot of our time. And I don't feel like I'm ever really bored because I have, you know, we have kids, and there's really not a lot of extra time. But after work, you know, we would drink when the kids were around. So in the evening, and It's just what we did. So finding time, things to do during that time was the hardest part, but it's getting easier. It's gotten so much easier every day. It gets a little bit more easy.
0: That's something I want to reiterate. And you're seeing at 42 days, it's gotten easier. And listeners, it does get easier. It even it even gets easier for me. I was talking with my buddy Dusty last night, his episode 204. He came on the age adventure trip. And I'm so lucky to have a sober sidekick, a rock star in my hometown. He's one of my best friends. And we're talking about it how last night so we we're all we all go through life normally, right? We're all on the same planet together and Regardless of what happens, life will happen, um, but drinking is not even an option anymore. It's just, it's not like it's still a no. It just doesn't even come across the plane or in the mind when there's a problem in life. So, in that regard, it continuously gets easier. And Renee, there's one more question that I want to ask you before we hit the rapid fire round. There's a quote that drinking is but a symptom. Do you know why you drank or looking back in your life? Was there a moment where your drinking ramped up? Was it a trauma? Was it loneliness? Um, Do you have any insight with that?
1: Um, I don't think I had any trauma necessarily in my past, but I mean, we did have problems in the marriage, which I think made it amp up greatly. I do think that initially I thought that it helped me with anxiety and made me feel happier. But in the end, it just made the anxiety worse and made me less happy. So, yeah, it's just it does the opposite of what you wanted to do in the beginning. By the end, it's it's just all gone to shit.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. And you mentioned you're working with a counselor for anxiety and depression. How has that helped? Mm -hmm. And how has anxiety and depression been after quitting drinking?
1: Well, it's helped a lot. I can't believe actually I haven't had like any anxiety since like after like the first couple weeks, it got a little bit better and better. And now I have none, like none ever. And I'm, I'm happier. My moods are better. I think so much more clearly. I, I can't believe that I feel like this good actually, just from stopping drinking. If I would have known that I would have stopped like years ago and I think my husband feels the same way as far as anxiety. He had a lot of anxiety when he was drinking, which is why he drank more, too, to get rid of that, which you know because you've had anxiety from drinking, too, I've heard.
0: I have, yeah, and quitting alcohol removed about ninety percent of the anxiety, which even alone there is a miracle, right? I was on antidepressants, even medication for the anxiety, you remove the alcohol and you no longer need those things. And the remaining ten percent, when that stuff happened, that was almost the life illusion that was taking place where external people, certain people, places and things would trigger anxiety internally, which represented where circuits needed to be built, where the work that I needed to do Uh, And then I blasted through that through uh, through anxiety or with, through meditation through breathing techniques and also some anxiety is healthy, right? There are some situations where the body says hey, we don't need to be here We don't need to be around this certain group of people. Let's roll um, And so, you know simply just running away from anxiety in general getting away from a hundred percent of it All fear a little bit of it is healthy It's it's a natural process we experience as human beings and I'm so glad to hear that your depression and anxiety is so much better That's got to feel good, right?
1: It does. It really, really does. I'm very happy about that. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And Renee, we've hit the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 seconds, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What's a light bulb moment you've had on this journey?
1: Well, I guess it's that I realized that alcohol has basically affected everything in my life. And it was like putting a puzzle together. I was, I was, just so surprised at how many things have been affected by alcohol and now not having it in my life. I just feel so much better.
0: What is a memorable moment in the life without alcohol has given you?
1: Memorable moment. Recently, we got a lot of snow here and uh, we took the kids sledding and it was fun. And I was just thinking while we're doing it, like, I was like, wow, if I was still drinking, there's no way I'd be up for this. Like, the energy I had and how much work it was walking up those hills.
0: And Renee, what's some advice you'd give to your younger self?
1: Well, this is kind of tough because I can still remember what it was like being a teenager, but I I guess I would have to say to try to surround myself with people who aren't party people. 'Cause that's what I did. I I was always in the parties. I mean you don't need drugs and you don't need alcohol to be happy. Yeah, it's hard to say though, but it's that's what I would tell myself if I could go back.
0: And what are your, some of your favorite resources?
1: Well definitely your podcast. I listen to it probably I listen to probably eight episodes a week.
0: <laughs> wow on my thank way you for to work listening. and on my
1: way home. <laughs> yes, I love it. I have read your book. I read the Annie Grace. Uh, what is it? this the, naked
0: mind? Yeah, great book.
1: Yes, I'm right now. I'm reading the Power of Now.
0: Whoa, Eckhart Tolle.
1: Yeah, Are you doing yeah. it already. But
0: you ready for it? That's awesome. yeah,
1: just started. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't know. I've just been into a lot of reading and stuff, and trying to help my mind get back to where it should be at.
0: Yeah, and listeners, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, not specifically written for those in addiction. However, I feel it may be one of the most applicable books towards addiction of our time. Next question, Renee, what's on your bucket list now that alcohol is not in your life?
1: Um, My bucket list, well, we want to do a lot more traveling, things that we can do that don't remind us of drinking because we've been on a lot of vacations where they've been all-inclusive and drinking 24-7. So we want to do some more traveling. We're going to Colorado in um, June. I know you guys are going to be there, but we're not gonna gonna there say, that we're the going to be I was just going to say, for the Recovery
0: Elevator yeah. Dancing with the Mind event, <laughs> June 11th to the I 13th, know, I'll see it. you two there. <laughs> that worked out well.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're going to go climb some mountains and maybe do some paragliding or sailing or something. Yeah, I want to see the world with sober eyes.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a great plan, and you should join us in Denver. Think about timing that trip up.
1: Yeah, I will.
0: Okay, and what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners?
1: Well, I would say that if you're thinking about drinking or you're thinking that you drink too much, you probably do... And that your addiction to alcohol might just be a blessing in disguise because it was for me and it was for my husband because I know that if we hadn't had the problems we've had with alcohol and had to go through what we went through that we wouldn't be where we are right now. So I think that you just have to think positively and try to make your life better Cause they will feel better. And I wish I would have just done this a few years ago, but I'm glad that we're doing it now.
0: Renee, I'm guessing, and I'm hoping that alcohol is going to (laughs) work on either side of the spectrum. Number one, it bonded you together. That was the driving force, how you, how you connected. And then on the other side of it, this is how you guys are connect is you're both going to depart from alcohol. I'm hoping, I think that's going to happen.
1: Yes, I think so too. I'm very optimistic.
0: Yeah. And give listeners your own, you might need to ditch the booze if line.
1: Oh, okay. So you might need to ditch the booze if you do a drunken cartwheel and wake up in the morning to find your whole hand is black and blue because you broke your middle finger and had no idea at the time. And yeah, I I actually had to go to physical therapy to learn how to use my finger again.
0: (laughs) Whoa, that's a good one. And how's your finger now?
1: It's better. It's better, but it's a little crooked.
0: But. <laughs> oh, I love it. And Renee, thank um, you so much for joining us today. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with you.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: Ben Affleck hasn't talked much about his struggles with alcohol since completing a third stint in rehab in 2018. The first two were in 2001 and 2017. But with the arrival of his new film, The Way Back, where he plays a character with a drinking problem, it has made the subject impossible for Affleck to avoid. Affleck has also accepted that the second word in Alcoholics Anonymous does not apply to him, certainly not after he briefly relapsed in the fall, turning up smashed on TMZ a few months after making it known that he achieved one year of continuous sobriety. All I have to say here is, way to come out and talk about it, Ben. Nobody is perfect, and we are all pulling for you. And Ben, don't forget Rule 22. Lighten up, my man. Don't take yourself and any of the characters you play on the big screen too seriously. Recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. You got to take the stairs back up. You can do this.